Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. I'm joined today by Jalen Butler. Jalen, how are you doing today? I'm doing good today. Uh, doing really good. We are both Missouri natives, um, which I think is awesome. Uh, you're from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm from Columbia. Um, tell me a little bit about growing up in Missouri and how you got into swimming. Uh, growing up in Missouri is pretty fun. I've lived here my whole life most, uh, for the most part. <laughs> uh, my mom hates it when I say that I, was, uh, I lived in Chicago, but I was born there. I like to get that one year from me. <laughs> Instead of saying I was born in uh, Missouri. But it was fun. I got into swimming kind of late. I started swimming when I was 14 years old, and I just kind of just kind of had fun with it all the way around, all through it. So it was a tough challenge uh, being a late bloomer in the sport and uh, coming with it, but uh, it was fun. I, the challenges weren't too heavy on me. Yeah. What what got what initially got you interested in swimming? Um, initially, I got into swimming out of a couple surgeries I had growing up. And um, I had two choices going into high school, whether a couple sports would be, and it was either track or swim. And I've always loved the water. So, of course, I chose the swim part and just took it from there. Did you, uh, were you, <clears throat> I, I know you swam in high school because I just looked up some of your results. Uh, I'm very familiar with the, the Misha website. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up looking at it as well. Um, but did you ever swim club? I did, actually. Uh, my first club team happened to be Heat Swimming, uh, St. Louis. And then I eventually left that team and went over to join my other coach uh, from that team, uh, Diana Rosen, at Fast Swimming Aquatics. Okay. Um, so, but, you know, obviously something stuck because you decided to, to continue your career in college. What, um, you know, coaches, teammates, what, what kind of stuck with you about swimming that made you want to continue through your club and high school experiences? Definitely coaches. Um, I've always been blessed to have great coaches. Um, I've never had a male coach up until this past year of my season in college. So I've always been given an opportunity to get strong women as coaches. And uh, all throughout high school, um, Aaron Lawler was my coach in high school. And then Diana Rosen was my coach for club. And both of them pushed me to just want to get better and just do better in the sport. So that's why I took that mindset into college. And so you, you ended up at Eastern Illinois. Uh, what, what made, what was, what was the deciding factor for that? How did you land on Eastern Illinois? It's kind of funny. Uh, that was my first uh, recruiting, like from like first for, uh, for real recruiting trip overnight stay and all of that. And I got there, campus was nice. Uh, everything about the school was nice. I loved it. And then I got to sit down and meet the rest of the teammates and stuff like that. And I just clicked with all of them. Um, they just felt like they really had that kind of bond that I never got, really got the experience to feel in my high school because my team was always so small. And they just, they really amplify what it meant to be a team. And I really enjoyed looking at that. And I said, I want that. Yeah. That, and so, so you get to Eastern Illinois, 
Um, tell me about your first season on EIU's campus. It was rough. It was, uh, <laughs> it was rough. It was a huge adjustment uh, coming from like, transitioning from high school to swim where my high school really didn't compete with any other schools. And then jumping into this program at EIU and um, going to different meets, traveling. It was rough, but like, it was so much fun. Uh, if I could relive each season over and over again, I would. It was, it was a lot of fun to just grow as a team, understand your teammates, what strokes they like to do, what strokes they didn't like to do, find out what you like to do, what you were actually good at and not like decent at. So it was a good learning experience, and, but challenging, but also fun. Yeah. Can, can you um, pinpoint uh, just, you know, one or two of those challenges specifically, you know, that freshman year of college is, is a huge transition, I think for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you felt like you or areas you really felt like you grew during that season? Definitely on the stroke. Um, I think that would be number one for me uh, because I always used to get critiqued and, on my stroke and trying to do it the proper way and do things the right way. And going into college, it really was coming down to the little things that made the huge amount of differences. So that was one. And then two was kind of a weight induced training. I never really played around with any type of weights before college and then getting into doing those on top of swimming twice a day. It was, that was a strain on my body that I didn't think was going to happen. <laughs> but I was able to pull through. Yeah. And so uh, tell me about kind of your, your conference championships. Um, you go the summit league, right? Yes. Um, you go to the summit league champs and, and do you see the kind of, kind of all these hardships you've been put through? Do you see that pay off at that meet? I do. Um, it was a great meet. Um, best times all around for me. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun just being able to see other swimmers compete that at the same level as me, and I knew like you know this is this is, is just like a surreal moment for me just to be at a conference with guys that are going twenty point lows or nineteen highs. It was just really amazing just to see the type of speed, and I was like, I want to be able to train this hard, train that hard, do these things, do that thing to get down to those times yeah so Jalen this is the first time I've talked to you you know it, it's it was it's it's cool hearing hearing your swim story as as I'm sure so many other swimmers can relate um you know the reason the the when I first heard of you was unfortunately through um through this incident you experienced with the police on your way home from those 2019 Summit League championships um I'm I'm going to read some information from the lawsuit that has been filed on this incident. Jalen Butler is a college swimmer at Eastern Illinois University. In February of 2019, his team was on a bus returning from the Summit League Championships. When the bus stopped at a rest stop in Illinois, police mistook Jalen for a suspect they were pursuing and handcuffed him face down in the snow with a knee in his back and guns pointed at his head. One officer threatened to shoot him when police realized they had the wrong suspect, instead of letting Jalen free, they kept him handcuffed, searched his pockets, and told him they were arresting him for resisting arrest. Police only released Jalen when he could provide photo ID. 
Though the police refuse to give their names, the ACLU has tracked down four of the six officers involved and filed a lawsuit for false arrest and excessive force. Swim Swam has filed Freedom of Information Act requests for more information about the officers and any prior complaints against them. Now, uh, I'd like to start this conversation with um, something that you have gone on record saying that your dad had given you advice about um, interacting with police before this incident. Um, can you describe to me what he had told you? Um, kind of, he always says this one saying, uh, stay on your P's and Q's whenever you go out, make sure that you are doing everything you're supposed to, which is everything you would do if I was there next to you. Um, so never, we got on the conversation of what to do if I ever got pulled over. It was, you know, remain calm, voice level, always show that your hands are empty, make sure you're doing everything that you, they will want you to do before they have to tell you to resolve any problems before they even get there, if there were any problems to come about. And in that moment, I kind of just took that advice and followed through with it. Yeah. Um, had you ha ever had an encounter with the police before this? No. Okay. Um, and so, so this, this situation happens, um, you get back on the bus, correct? What was your initial reaction to all this? My initial reaction was, it was just a ton of feelings all at once. But one thing that I could like pick out of all of it was just kind of like disappointment. Um, I was just kind of, kind of shocked in a, in a way that all that just went just went down and just happened to me. And as I got back on the bus, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, what happened to me was just as scary and shocking for everyone else on the bus too. So I really tried to step up and make sure they were all okay and um, try to pick uplift the spirits that we had before we had stopped. <laughs> to go through that and then, and then to automatically assume the role of making sure everyone else involved is okay is, um, I mean, I think that that says a lot right there. Um, you know, moving forward, um, as you processed this event more, um, did you discover anything else kind of looking back or just having time to reflect on it? Um, yeah, I discovered one true big thing about myself was I don't have to bottle up feelings and uh, put on a brave face all the time that it's okay to feel things and it's okay to not be okay at points in your life. I shouldn't have to always try to stay strong even when I know I'm not. And that was one thing that out of this incident that taught me was, you know, it's okay to, you know, if I got to cry, it's okay to cry sometimes. And if I want to be just down the dumps, it's okay to be down the dumps, but make sure I pick myself back up and get back on with things. And I think that was a big thing for me to discover about myself because I've always been one to put things down, bury them, and just move on. And this was something that you just can't put down and bury. You gotta, you gotta go through those motions of dealing with those feelings, those thoughts, those images as replay in your head. You gotta, you gotta be the bigger person for yourself. Yeah. Did, did you have figures um, who were helping you through this process as well? Yes. Um, my entire swim team, um, 
not just college, but um, high school, old high school teammates, all of my club teammates, coaches, um, my entire swim world, my entire family, um, friends, everyone, really. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so this incident happens, um, you know, you, you, you start recovering from it. Um, let's talk about your sophomore year. Um, you, you know, you ended your swim season, um, at, at the championships on a high note. Um, what, what, what do you bring back to the pool, um, at the beginning of your sophomore season? Kind of the best mindset I've ever really gone into the season with just, I was kind of tricking myself in a way. Um, the season didn't go anywhere close to what I was thinking I was going to do. I trained, uh, you know, really hard over the summer. I did things that I was, you know, wanted to see myself do in the pool coming up and the times just weren't there. Um, mentally it was kind of a block, um, you know, in swimming it's kind of like you gotta be mental and you gotta be prepped and ready to go and do things that you know you want to do. And, um, I was just always, a swimmer that if he was having a great day, he was going to have a great meet. And if he was having a great practice, he was going to have a great meet. And all my practices are great. All my days are great. It was just, I was mentally not there for the races. Mm-hmm. Um, and was that kind of a trend throughout that entire second season? Yes. Um, I had maybe one good, great race I can look back on and say I was I was confident and that was a good race and that was up until conference um, where I went to my coach and I told him I don't think that I can do anything good in this meet Um, I'm just not mentally ready to be back here Um, this was a task that I thought I had dealt with over the summer and it was something that was just eating me aside just throughout the whole entire season and I didn't know it until that point. And that was right before my, right before the 200 freestyle relay. And um, I got up behind the blocks. And after dealing with that, you know, I finally letting that out and saying it out loud to myself. Um, I went um, I went the best time in that 53. So I think now moving forward from that moment, I knew that I had to, I had to come to terms with it. I had to let myself know that, you know, you're going to feel these things. You're going to know these things and you're going to be not ready to do these things that you want to do because of the things that happened to you. But that's okay. Because once you start coming to terms with it, things will get back going right for you. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just to be clear. So, so are you saying that you felt your racing was affected by this incident that it happened? Okay. Um, and so now that you've been, well, I guess, first of all, let's talk about, you know, right after those championships, coronavirus happened. How, how did that, you know, that kind of topping the pile affect, affect your mindset? Um, that was tough. That was kind of like just throwing more fuel to the fire because nothing more, I didn't want anything more but to just get back in the pool and just start training again. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been my outlet. For since I started swimming, um, if I had everything going bad in my life, I would just go to the pool, swim a couple laps, and then everything would be great again. And coronavirus came and kind of took that away from me. So it was, it's been tough on not only me, but I know my entire teammates, 
um, the swimming world in general, athletes all around. Um, so it was, it was tough. Um, here in Missouri, some of the pool, most of the pools still aren't open yet, so it's kind of a downer. But I've made do with uh, going to the gym, doing cardio, trying to stay in it. Yeah. Um, ha- has this given you any more time to 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 process that and to kind of get it? Um, I don't know if out of your system's the right word, but you know, um, to to work through it. Yes. Um, I would say I want to I want to hang on to this moment um, forever, just just to know that I I was able to pull myself out of the the dark place that I was in, that let myself know that I was able to be strong enough to make amends and get back mentally stable and compete in the sport that I love. So, kind of in a way, um, coronavirus and the quarantine kind of gave me a, an opportunity to do that because it gave me the time. And alone in the house, twenty four seven, just just to think, and yeah. that was really kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Um, so that that brings us to a couple weeks ago, uh, when, when you know when George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. Um, you know, I know you spoke out and said that was that was very triggering for you. Can can you give us a recount of kind of your reaction to hearing about that? Um. I initially didn't first hear about it. Um, I heard about it from a friend. Um, and immediately I just, I had to see what happened. Um, I don't know what came over me to do that, but I immediately I just had to see the video or just see, or just even read something about it. And I did tons of research over what happened. Um, and it kind of just, in a way, I didn't even realize it, but it was me coping with what I had went through because it was so familiar to me and I didn't even realize it at that moment. So when I gave the statement, it was in a way talking from just kind of reliving my own moments over again. And um, for me, that was, that was big for me because it finally clicked for me at the gym. Um, You know, kind of, I was squatting and it just, it's all clicked. It was uh, same, almost so similar to my incident. And I, fortunately, I got lucky um, in my case where things didn't go anywhere fatal. And just hearing about George Floyd and his incident becoming fatal where he didn't get to get up and walk away from it. It was just, it was just really um, mind boggling to me. And I just had to, I had to just say something. Yeah. Since then, have you been... Um, you know, inspired to take action in any way? Have you fielded questions? You know, what what has your kind of response been to this incident um, in, in these last couple weeks? Um, I've been feeling really, um, I would say, um, empowered, if that's the right word to use. I've never really liked being looked at as someone who's a, a leader or um, someone that you can follow. I've always kind of tried to stay kind of in the backside, doing doing my part and doing things. But this is this is really giving me an, um, the opportunity to kind of put that shyness away and seize the opportunity and putting myself and trying to push for change just as much as everyone else is. And I think that's the 
the biggest thing for me was um, being okay with other people uh, reading my story all around and reaching out to me and then just providing, you know, any information that I have. Um, I've gotten a lot of people ask me, you know, what it is that they can do to be more involved in, you know, pushing for change, um, what it is they can be more self-aware. And I just feel like that's been uh, the best thing for me, just kind of using my own voice to let them know that, you know, whatever it is that they can do, do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that brings us to what can be done. Right. Um, so I guess we can start with a, with a broader sense, you know, maybe what are a few things um, that, that you, or, or advice you have given um, certainly to, to people like me, to white people um, that, that, uh, you know, I think a big thing is how, not only how not to be racist, but how to be anti-racist. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest thing for people who aren't of color in order to help push for change would just be to speak up about it. Um, anything you see, if it doesn't sit well with you in that moment, speak on it. Um, that's, that's kind of like the number one thing. Silence isn't always a bad thing, but when things are going a way that you don't feel morally or correct, that's the time not to be silent. Um, and this entire movement is a time to not be silent. If you feel any type of, you know, sadness or sickness in your stomach from seeing the things that are going on, speak up about it. Um, take to your social media. We all have a social media platform, whether we want to believe it or not. Uh, we all have a group of people out there that support us like no other. And, you know, just take to them and then it'll reach if not 10 people to reach five people then they may do the same and that five may reach another five and the cycle will just keep going on and on and that's how you spread the, the motion of speaking up about this and letting other people know like this is this isn't okay we need to make change yeah do has has this kind of i know you you mentioned you know you felt empowered um has this inspired you to change the way you conduct yourself maybe moving forward at all? Kind of so, yes. Um, I want to, I never really was, I was all, I've always been, I uh, want to speak about things and any, everything, but this has made me kind of look at this moment as something, something to give more of my time to. Um, I feel as if I need to give, um, anything of uh, my attention span, give it to this movement, helping people understand, like, if you want to be, if you ever want things to be comfortable again, you've got to be uncomfortable in this time and speak about things that are going on. And that's kind of what I've been preaching to everyone, that you got to be uncomfortable. you got to be comfortable in uncomfortable times in order for change to actually come. And that's how I've just been telling all my friends uh, who aren't of color, all my teammates, and it's kind of been lifting me up knowing that I can do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, and seeing it has certainly for me been, been uplifting as well. You know, I, th I think it's, it's been cool to empower a lot of black voices and the voices of people of color and, and also realizing, you know, that certainly on my end, there's there's some learning and unlearning that needs to be done because, as we've discovered, this this isn't 
always just an automatic choice, right? It's it's years and years of of systemic mm. stuff that's that's been passed down, and um, and it's it's proven to be, from my perspective, a really really great opportunity. Um, so in the swimming community, I think I would say that we try to be an inclusive community, right? But the the reality is there are not a ton of black swimmers yeah. percentage wise. Um, and so do, do you think there are ways that the swimming community can, can change for the better to be a more inclusive community in that regard? Um, kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, where I, my, my old neighborhood, we, the closest pool to me was about 10 minutes away. And I think, in order to, to put, you know, get more African-American swimmers, you just got to put more pools where there are more African-Americans. Um, you know, it's kind of like you're only going to have so many African-Americans go out of the way to go to pools and then so many of those to be interested in swimming competitively, especially if they have to drive 30 minutes or 40 minutes out to get to that pool. Um, so I say the only thing that really can be put on that is just putting more pools in heavily African American populated places. Mm -hmm. Have Have you ever felt? Um, was it matter ever made obvious to you from your perspective that you were a minority in swimming? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of my first, my very first swim meet. Um, I had. Only two other African American teammates at that time. Um, they were both siblings, and, and so it was no. It was four of us. It was four of us total. Like two girls and one other guy. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, it was. It was a team of. It was a team. Our team had about. I don't know, maybe. 60 70 kids it was a summer league team and uh that's when it first clicked from like oh wow this is you know just really just us four and then everyone else is white people and um so it was that was interesting to see but i never really let to get let it get to me um going to high school i went to a predominantly black high school and my entire swim team was black um, so we go to swim meets, we go out to Clayton, Missouri, where there are heavily populated white people out there on the swim team as well. We'd be kind of just a black team versus a white team in swimming. And we never really let it get to us. Um, we knew we, we knew we were just having fun anyway. And, um, I took that same mindset from that and moved it on to college because I kind of knew that it wouldn't be too much of anything different. It'd probably be just the same ratio. And my college swim team, I am the um, only African-American on the team, but it's still just as much fun. I don't think any of my teammates let any of that get to them, and I definitely don't either. Yeah. Do you think – so, yeah, so, so you ended with you, – you, you feel included on your team now. Um, do you think there's – at just swimming as a whole, do you think there are better ways to to make black people feel more included in swimming? I know, I know, we talked about you know getting more black yeah. people in the sport, um, but once they're in, do you think there's better ways for, the, for that that we could do to to make them feel included? 
Um, kind of just, I mean, you just got to really just treat them as anyone else. Um, my old club, uh, summer league swim team, you know, we didn't do anything special. Uh, we were just uh, a swim team and we would go to practices and whole nine yards. I felt included just because, you know, I would just be there. And um, I think just to make them, once they get into the sport, to make them feel like they're included, you know, just kind of play it as you would play it in anyone else as a swimmer. Like, it's your teammate. A teammate is a teammate. Uh, you know, your swimmer as a coach, that's your swimmer. That's another swimmer. It's kind of all the same. Yeah. Um, well, Jalen, do you have any any parting thoughts um, as, as we're, we're, we're about at time here? Um, but, you know, any, any parting thoughts you've got um, before we kind of close on this conversation? Um, no, actually, I don't. I thought I would, but this is this has just been just a surreal moment for me in general. I've always I've always loved swim swim. I used to I always use a time converter uh, for long course meters to short course yards. I've always loved swim swim for everything. I always look for the news and all that. So this has just been a, a great moment for me to be able to have this opportunity. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's been a great moment for me and for us as well. Um, it's been awesome to have you maybe to close. Do, do you have a favorite swimming story that you could share with us? <laughs> I'm going to use one that may not be so happy, but I got a good kick out of it. So <laughs> okay. it was my senior year conference uh, finals and I was swimming the 100-yard butterfly, which is my favorite, favorite uh, event. And they DQ'd me in prelims for going past 15, uh, 15 meters. And I, the pool we were at, I trained it for club every night, every day. So I kind of know exactly where to pop up. And the official called me. He was on the other side of the pool at the other end. So it was this big, you know, this big thing going around. And... I actually cried. I was really heartbroken that I didn't get to swim that at finals. But what really made it a good swim story for me was um, I didn't let it get to me. Um, in swimming, once you have a bad race, you may still have three other three other races left to do. So you got to pick yourself up and you got to get ready for that next race because it's not going to wait on you to get better. You got to make that motion yourself. And I had the 50 yard free and 100 free and I went on to do both best times, lifetime best times in those events. So I kind of was, uh, it was like, yeah, well, I made it to swim the 105, but I did get these two best times in medal. So. I mean, that's a great story. <laughs> so that's super cool. And that that is one thing that I was always jealous of growing up in Missouri was that we didn't have conference meets or wow. division meets um, yeah. in Columbia. Cause there's like no teams around us. Um, <laughs> so that's, I, I'm guessing that was a pretty fun experience to yeah. have those meets leading up to the state meet. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of like, in a way I always looked at conference kind of like a prelims and then state to be finals. Um, if I did good in prelims, I was like a conference and then, <laughs> I would take that same mindset and energy, take it into state, or even if I didn't do good, um, I would still take that same mindset. It's all about 
just stay positive and happy in what you're doing because you love the sport regardless. So why not be happy while doing it? And on that note, I think that's a, that's a great note to end on. Um, Jalen, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking with us. Thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. Hey, do you love swim swim as much as I do? Do you want hours of endless practice footage, race video, and a guide to the best pancakeries in the country? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel below and follow us on social media at swim swim news on Twitter and Instagram. If we get a million followers, I might just eat a million pancakes. Only one way to find out.